Hello, beautiful queens, and join me as we open up conversations that help women walk through difficult transitions and inner healing while unleashing the potential that God has placed within all of us to become untamed and unchained. In each episode, you'll get the tools and resources to create the change in your life that you desire as you unleash your vision, your gifts, and your voice and your confidence to live the life of your dreams. I give my listeners and clients love and support. However, I do take the direct approach and we cut out that BS in your life. So instead of playing small, you can create big leaps into your life. Now let's dive into this episode. Today, Amy is going to share her story of when she had severe aplastic anemia. And if we laugh or say random stuff, don't mind us. This is real life, (laughs) real life. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. So Amy, we're going to go back in time, obviously. And so can you share of when you first began to notice that you didn't feel well, like the beginning of your journey? you know, when the barn fire was, and then you started passing out and like, what was that for you? When we went, when took you into the ER, like, what was that experience like for you? Um, oh <laughs> yeah. They need to hear you a little bit better. Oh, I don't know. Uh, at first, I mean, I don't know. Cause like, I was like, so out of it mentally. Cause I was just exhausted all around. My body was exhausted. I was exhausted for probably like, I'd say close to, like a year prior, I was just slowly getting more and more tired doing like basic things. Like when I would like take water out to the cows and I just thought I was like fat and out of shape because I'd get like gas. <laughs> really, I just cancer, man. Gets ya. Um, so like just slowly stuff like that. And then like with playing volleyball and stuff and like during games or like practice, I would just like black out and I'd just be so tired. Again, I just thought I was out of shape, you know. I was like, oh, must not be doing something right. And then so at that point, but like after the fire. And then I got sick and then I just like couldn't even walk and just pass it out, you know, just trying to brush my teeth and just pass out, bang my head on the sink. No big deal. <laughs> so that happens. Hold on a second. Did you like fall asleep in the parking lot too? Like waiting for Julia the one day picking her up? Yeah, I was tired. I mean, I know that you were tired and I know we take naps in our vehicles sometimes, but you were literally like there for moments and you just fell asleep. And didn't you struggle with like going up the steps at school yeah, too? Yeah, I just thought I was out of shape girl yeah because one time this was like right before i think it was like the week like that thursday or something before i was like going up the stairs and i like fell up the stairs because i was just tired my legs couldn't make it but got to the top went to class still you know ace that class some of us just got it like that but yeah so by the time like i actually went to the er i was like you literally had to carry me because i couldn't walk out of the house little piggyback ride remember that (sighs) Yeah, so I got there yes. and I was in a wheelchair. So I was living my best life, bro. I didn't have to walk no more. And then I went in and everybody talked to me. And I, you know, I love socializing. So everybody talked to me and everybody just says, so I was like, hey guys, what's up? You know, I don't know what's wrong with me, but like, it's kind of nice to just lay down and get pushed around everywhere. So I wasn't complaining. And I was like, well, I'm finally getting help now, I guess. I mean, I'm not fat, you know? <laughs> Girl, I'm telling you, one day you're going to have a stage to speak on. And so many people are inspired by your story and your humor. This is exactly why I wanted to bring Amy on because she now she's choking. 
because she has such a powerful story and she's going to sugarcoat some of it. I'm sure with her sarcasm. So I'm going to dip in here and you have the reality of it as well. Um, are you okay? No, you're fine. You are healed in Christ. So, um, yeah, she, when I took her to the ER room, she literally was like barely functioning anymore at that point. And so what severe a plat, I probably should explain to them what that actually is. So they kind of have a grasp on it because it's not common language. Severe aplastic anemia is when your bone marrow literally quits reproducing. And so hers had quit reproducing a normal your bone marrow produce mother cells. What kind of cells? What kind of cells you tell blood cells. <laughs> yes. So your body literally obviously cannot function without having blood flow through it. In a normal person's count is what 13. I think it's yeah, like 13, 14. And yours was three. It was like two. Okay. I thought it was three, but two. And the one nurse, gather yourself, sweet pea. That went down the wrong pipe. <laughs> the one nurse, she came in and she's she said what? She'd worked there for 30 years and she'd never seen she anybody with counts that low still alive. I was like, <laughs> I was like, here I am, bro. The warrior coming out of you. So how did you, what, like, what was your thought process and, and walk us kind of through how that was once you found out, because remember when they gave us the diagnosis and then they're, they're like, you can't play volleyball and you won't be able to go to school and you're going to have to be isolated away from people. Like that had to be so scary for you. So what was that like as you were what, 16 at the time? Yeah. Was I? Yes, yeah. you were 16. So what was that like for a 16 year old to basically hear her whole world that she ever knew and her greatest passion of volleyball, which was literally your life? Because we had, you had just gone through divorced parents and now you, volleyball was the one thing that was like, kept you going. And that was to be taken away from you. What was that like for you? Um, that was hard. I think like not being able to play volleyball was like the biggest thing that I was like, oh my gosh, da, da, da. And then also when they told me I had to go through chemo and then I was going to lose my hair as a 16, I was like, not the locks, bro. <laughs> not the hair. Anything else. Now like that, I was like <clears throat> stressing about, but then I got over that. I grew up. Um, but yeah, volleyball, that was like a big thing. I was like, what am I supposed to do? Like, oh, and also the fact that I was allowed to drink sweet tea for a really long time. I forgot about that. That's the one thing that literally terrified me. So why, why were you not allowed to drink sweet tea? Refresh my memory. I don't know. Cause I was not have like coffee and stuff either. It was like the rude. I don't know. Oh, oh like, yes. After it. Yeah. So much stuff I couldn't have. Yes. Oh my gosh. I forgot about some of this stuff. I didn't. <laughs> Obviously, that's why I'm bringing you on here. Yeah. There was a lot of foods you weren't allowed to eat either, right? Yeah, because I wasn't allowed to like even go out to eat for like the first like what six months after I even got out of the hospital. It was longer than that, maybe. And then like I couldn't have like a lot of fruits and vegetables because you couldn't get them clean enough to get all the bacteria out. Like strawberries was a big one, lettuce. There was a lot of stuff I couldn't eat. But I also couldn't eat anyways, so <laughs> Yes, about that, which we're going to get to that in a moment. And I feel like I went really far ahead. Well, we kind of did because all of a sudden I had these flashbacks that they did. That was why you weren't allowed to have the sweet tea because of the bacteria. Mm -hmm. They felt, yeah. Because I was so at high risk for everything. Yes, because your body had, they had to strip your body from everything in order to get you prepared for the transplant. And so your body had no immune system. It had like nothing in it to fight anything off. 
Yeah. Okay. So then we went, so you, upon getting that news, you were like, that was all of that for you to digest. You said about the hair. I think you handled that really well. What was the mental, like, can you talk us through the mental talk? Like, that's a big thing. That's really huge. No, I'm serious. Like, I mean, you got a face like this, you don't need hair. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, at first, initially, obviously, I was like, oh my gosh. I cried. Not in front of anybody. I went in my room and I cried in the closet. <sighs> I'm just kidding. Well, a little bit. But I was like, what am I supposed to do? Like, freaking out, da, da, da. But like, I think also just like, when, like, the time actually came, like, beforehand, I like, watched like a lot of TikToks of like people with like shorter hair or like that lost their hair and just like kind of like how they talked about it and how they coped with it and then I kind of realized like it is just hair like what my hair how my hair looks doesn't define me as like who I am as a person I mean it's not like obviously I got like looked at differently because of it in a sense that it's not normal for a girl to be just bald (laughs) you know not the norm but like that doesn't make me and my heart and who I am as a person any different I guess and then like when I was actually in the hospital and like I don't know when I was in there like just all the nurses and doctors were just like so loving and they like I was literally dead and they made me feel like I'm like the prettiest person alive mm-hmm. you know like you don't and you're not around anybody else so I wasn't around like anybody else my age or anything and so I was like I think that's also why I wasn't like as afraid of it because like when my hair started falling out I was like you know what? it's gonna happen I also like before I went in I made the decision that even if because I said like it might not fall out I was like even if it doesn't fall out like eventually I'm just gonna shave my head like in honor of Didn't it you crack jokes when you were little like yeah bro like- because I hated brushing my long hair and I was like I'm just gonna shave my head one day like I'm so tired of this well Power in your words, mother. Power I know, I remember. I just had a flashback when you were saying, like, yeah, I stick to my words. And I was like, wow. Andy. Always do. Whoa. Even the ways level. you might not know. I always come through. But yeah, and so then, like, when I was about to leave the hospital, I guess that's when I, like, it didn't bother me. But, like, it started to bother me in a sense. I knew I was going to be, like, because it was, like, I got out, what, May? So it was about to be summertime. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, I couldn't really do anything. But, like anywhere I went was about to be a bunch of like teenagers and they're all going to see me. And like, I'm a 16 year old girl. Like that's when you're supposed to, you know, be in your element, I guess. And I'm freaking bald (laughs) and I'm pale and I'm like skinny and I can't even eat and I'm just weak and you know, whatever. But then I got out and I was like, wait, this is like low key is kind of nice because everybody else is sweating. And I'm like, not me. (laughs) Stay safe. (laughs) And I could shower so fast. So I ended up like kind of liking it. I mean, like, the looks of it, not that much. But, like, then I just kind of used it as, like, a way to build my confidence and show other people that you don't have to look the ideal or normalized way of how everybody else is supposed to look. Like, you can still be confident in your own how you look, no matter how it is. You know uh-huh. I mean? Yes, yes. And you did. Because remember, they talked about, like, scarves and wigs and stuff. And mm-hmm. you just went out like the courageous, brave soul and did none of it. Like, I Basically, admired I you. Just raw dogged it. Yeah, you, it was, like, uh, the admiration that I have for you for doing that because it was so bold. But I saw your self-confidence skyrocket, like you said, because yeah. it was, like, here I am. I'm going to be unapologetic about who I am, even if I'm scared. Because I remember a little bit. I was scared at first. Yeah. For sure. But I also didn't want to like, 
wi- like uh, we talked about wigs and stuff at one point but i really didn't want to do that because then i just felt like i was portraying to be somebody i'm not and that's like a big thing is i hate when people are like that like just be who you are good or bad i'd rather you be a bad person but you just show that than you pretend like you're something you're not so exactly. i was like why pretend like i have this long luscious hair when if that really means so much to me and it's that big of a deal then I need to do like check on myself because I need help like it shouldn't be dang girl there's a TED talk wrapped up in itself (laughs) you're you're right you're right it's like such a it's a self-check for all of us and it was it was an inspiration to a lot of people too like you and I feel like that also is what motivated me because I've seen people not only like influenced but like I knew like there was people that like not appreciated. I don't know the word I'm looking for, but like notice that and kind of like look up to the fact. And so then that like encouraged me to keep doing it and just like letting it be and just letting my hair grow out, wanted to grow and then just go through its phases. Cause I mean, I have never cut it since then. No. And you have like all these different, like now you can see all the different phases that you went through and the cute, like all the different styles and the cute way that it looks and like the journey of your hair growing out. And yeah, you, and you inspire people more to be themselves just by doing that because they're like, well, if she can go out like that, then I can go out and be myself as well. Yeah. I feel like also me losing my hair made me like have to really figure out who I am because I mean, a lot of teenage girls, like me included, like our go-to for who we are is how we look, yes. how we dress, how our body looks, how who we hang out with, what we do, like all that stuff. But I didn't have any of like that. I had no life. I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. I wasn't allowed to like be in big crowds of people. I wasn't allowed to go to restaurants. So I really was just stuck at home. I mean, I like started dressing different, I guess, in a sense to like try to find myself. But I realized that really brought me no fulfillment. And that's like when I, I mean, I was depressed. Because, I mean, it was a lot for like, uh, me to, and I couldn't do anything. Like, I literally, you that bas- was the worst part. Yeah, you basically got stripped from everything that you ever knew. As yeah. a 16-year-old, you, yeah. you and, and why I say it this way is because you had a double whammy. You just prior, a year prior, we got divorced. So that was like a whole bushel of unknowingness. And yeah. now, now you're in your own journey of the world completely got stripped from you and basically everything that you had known. And now you have to start from like square one of like, well, wait, who am I? And where do I even go? Cause I don't have, like, I don't have volleyball, Mm -hmm. which was your biggest thing. And like you said, and now my hair. And, and so for you to try to figure all the things out and you did, well, you were under a lot of medications. So you had to take a lot of medications. Yeah. Like 12 pills a day, bro. And that was, that was something that, okay. So, and you took yourself off medications even before you were supposed to take. Hey, I was fine. I know myself well enough. Which is, that was what was the courageous thing. And that was the funny thing all at the same time, because you kept your doctors. So on their toes, cause you weren't supposed to go. Was it homecoming or prom? I think it was homecoming. Yes. It was homecoming. Cause you weren't supposed to go and you went Cause this was after the transplant got out of the yeah, hospital. Yeah, it was like that October. I was still like, wasn't supposed to be around like big crowds. Cause you weren't allowed to go back to school yet. No. They didn't give us the green light to go. And so you went to homecoming and I think all the doctors nearly had a heart attack once they found out. Cause we told them afterwards. Yeah. Well, I would have told them before. Yes. I'd and- rather apologize and ask for forgiveness and ask for permission and get denied. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. <laughs> so and then 
I mean, it really wasn't awesome at the time being, yeah. Cause, um, walking a fine line <laughs> here, but you trained me from a young child, from the young child, you trained me that you cross the line, even when, you know, when there's a no, there's a foot across the line. And then when you went to prom, you, you literally looked at me and it was, you were like, don't, don't tell, tell them. them. Don't tell them. I went, went to prom and her doctor comes in and she's like, like, not even like, she didn't even like ask me, you know? Like what's new in my life? She's just like asking me how how am I doing and stuff. And then she's like, "So how is prom?" And I was like, "How did you know? How did you know? Because you're the you're the rabble patient we have here. Like you had the whole hospital talking that you went to homecoming. Because like this is this actually was life and death. Like we can crack jokes about it now, but it actually was like you put yourself at the highest risk by going to homecoming. Like that was the one place. Cause it was an environment where there was so many kids there and there was a enclosed, it was out in the open, which going, let's backtrack a little bit. You weren't even supposed to be like around fires or when the grass was being mowed. I wasn't or, supposed you to be around supposed, people more than, more than like eight people at once. I think. You were basically supposed to be living in a bubble, but through the grace of God, you managed to get through all of that and conquer the odds, which was Oh, that was a lot of Jesus happening and your guardian angels are probably still trying to take naps from all the exhaustion that they went through, but we're going to backtrack a little bit because we kind of like went over here, but that's fine. Cause that's what we do. And so I would like to hear you share. So when you, so we found out the news and then you had to go, we knew that you had to go in for the transplant, but also then we faced the part where you had to do fertility treatments and you had to give yourself shots. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I forgot about Can that. Can you talk about this a little bit? Cause honestly, I am still weak in the stomach when I think about it. I don't know how you conquered all of that. I don't know. I mean, cause it was like, I mean, I knew like the amount of chemo I was going through and like how much and how little time like how strong it was going to be it could take the chances away of me ever being able to have kids and kids and family is something that's so important to me and I want to be able to have my own family one day and so what how long did I turn that off real quick that's okay um it was what like two weeks well two weeks didn't we have to go up like to the doctor's office every other day yeah and then they would always like check my labs, not mm-hmm. my labs and stuff. And I'd have to do like ultrasounds and all that other stuff. But you yeah. also had to give yourself shots. I was getting there if Oops. you wouldn't interrupt me. <laughs> Anyways, because I had like an EpiPen one that I had to like, t- that one really hurt. It was like the one where you like turn it and then you just like have to like pinch your stomach and stick it in. And then I'd also have like these little bottles where I'd have to like flip it upside down, do the whole syringe thing. And so I'd have to do two in the morning and I think one at night or maybe the other way around. But it was like three all together a day for like two weeks. And then did all that. Yeah. And then they did the egg retrieval. And, yeah, and I got to wear that cap thingy. Do you remember that? No, what it cap? It's funny thing? looking. I had to put on my hair and it was like a hairnet, but it was like blue. Oh, yes, yes. Because yeah, I took a picture because I thought it was funny. Yes, you did. Well, and even that procedure. So, no, that one was bad. Like, it wasn't bad. Okay. But it was like, when I, so I, you know, I'm on the the bed and they're rolling me back there and I don't, did they give me like any, I think they gave me like calming medication before I went back there, but they didn't give me like anything else. Like for a lot of my other procedures, they would like, I would be kind of like out of it by the time I got back there. And then they would like actually dope me up. Okay. 
You know what I mean? But they just gave me like calming stuff. So I go back there and like this bed is like this and there's like stuff. So I have to put my arms out like this. They strap all of my arms down. Oh my like gosh. there's like four straps on both of my arms. And then there's like my legs are up and all my legs are strapped out. And I was like, <laughs> and it's just lights in my face. I was, like, this is so scary. But there's this chick that I was just chopping it up with. I was at, she had a dog. I do remember that. And we were just talking about her dog and she was just like talking to me about life. All this other stuff. So they kind of calm me down. It's just fine because, you know, if he talked to me, I could basically do anything. <laughs> like I'm distracted. But you already had to go through a whole procedure to do it because, like, because your situation was what your situation was, we had to go in the night before at the hospital. Because this is normally something you, they can do as outpatient. Yeah. But we had to go in at the hospital. They had to give you platelets. Yeah, that's when they gave me the IV right here and they couldn't get it. And then I almost passed out because it kept rolling. Yes. You went through like tremendous. That one was, that just, was the most painful IV I've ever gotten. It was horrible. The, that's, this old lady did not know what she was doing. Yeah. So we had to go through all of that. And then, so they had to prep her body. They had to give her blood transfusion and they had to give her platelets. The whole procedure of you doing the fertility treatments was very high risk. It was like, we were facing another life and death with you, but, and then I'm telling you, girl, <laughs> so Lord yeah, has I, a big plan for you. I just got so much blood. Cause I remember, cause they switched over to this hand then and they finally got it. It was like one that was further down here. Cause I told them, I was like, listen, you're not putting it in there. I was like, it hurts too bad already. It's already sore. Find a different spot. And then they gave me blood all night and they had to like have like heating pads packs like all on my arm because it was like they had to pump it so fast because I needed so much yeah and it was like my whole like arm was like sore from oh my gosh it hurt so bad yeah because sometimes you could feel it I remember you because it's so cold and especially because they had to pump it so fast and they like from the time I got there they put the IV in me and they hooked me up and they started pumping and then they didn't stop until I literally left oh my gosh oh so what and then that from the hospital, we went over to Ahuja mm-hmm. and then they did the procedure. And then we had to go back to the hospital and spend another night there because they had to make sure that everything was okay. And I think you had to have more transfusions and platelets. Yeah. So it, they had to like technically cut me. Yeah. It turned into, I think like a three-day procedure, which should have been only like a few, an hour procedure, but yeah, it was because of what was going on. And then we had to prep you and do like test after test after test. And you did multiple surgeries to prep you for the transplant. Like, I feel like we were down in the surgery room, like a few times a week. I know that might've been my imagination, I don't know, but I felt like I watched you roll back into surgery more times than I ever wanted to see in my life happen. And I was like, this is beginning to be a little bit bizarre. With I know you didn't mind it. Cause it was just like, I was taking a nap. <laughs> it ain't no nap for your mama. <laughs> They take him out. I was knocked out, so I didn't really care. Oh my gosh! And then we had the whole situation happen with your porch, which was excruciating pain for you. Excruciating? Yeah. Isn't it excruciating? Excruciating. (laughs) Yeah, that got what I meant. That was horrible. That was probably like the most painful thing I went through the whole time. Are you serious? Oh, for sure. I think so. Uh, nothing else really that was like that painful because I was just like numb and exhausted and tired otherwise. True, true. Well, and they came in and they kept like poking and prying. Yeah, bro. So- I was like, no. I was like, it hurts. And they're like, well, we're going to try with this needle. And they would like get like, they would just touch the skin. I'd be like, ah. I was like, okay. If like, because this was right here, literally like my whole side right here. And my, I couldn't even move my arm without like my whole side being in pain. So you think putting a needle against my skin is going to like feel okay? 
I remember seeing the, the fear in your eyes when they would come in because that that night before they took it out, like mm-hmm. it was like the freeway of 271. Yeah, like, freeway it, with it the just hospital. coming in and I was like almost asleep. I like, I literally had to lay like this and I couldn't move my arm because if I moved my arm, I was in so much pain. And then here comes more people put down a tray, put the light right in my face and then start, oh, the smell of the cleaner. Ooh, oh gosh, I could yak. Like that on by itself just made me want to throw up. And then like them just poking and prodding. And then they were like, let me try this way and this way. Well, let's go get a different, leave me alone. Well, you were already hooked up to so many things. Yeah. You had, you have wires and, and lines and whatnot, all that was already pumping through you and going through you. So that was a traumatic event, which not talking about how I still want to take that doctor and stuff him down the trash can for his ignorance. But anyways, um, we, so going, so you went through that and then do you have much memory of when the actual transplant was happening? No. No. Cause I slept most of that day. Didn't I? You did. You were awake for some of it because, okay. Went downstairs and they took Matt in the back. And like, I remember Matt coming back upstairs, talking to him for a little bit, but that's like all I remember. Like I remember seeing him. Yeah. No, not really. Yeah. Cause he was, cause they said they're going to go take the bone marrow from him. Cause he was, I think I forgot to mention that in the beginning. He was that the perfect match for you. They took him in surgery and got the bone marrow from him. And then he came back upstairs and then hooked you up. And then that's when the actual transplant began to happen. And I, what I, from what I remember of that day, you were kind of in and out of it. Yeah. Cause they like put me on like so much stuff to like for the pain and to make sure I didn't have any type of reaction. Yes. Yeah. They so, like, kind I of- was on, Cause like, I know they gave me like all my regular meds, which I was on that, like at one point I was on like 15 meds, something like that. Well, at one point you were carrying your lunchbox around like it was, you know, a yeah. medical pack instead of a lunchbox. There- That's how I got so good at doing shots is from in the hospital <laughs> to give me a whole cup and I just down that one thing. Help me out for my future experiences anyways. Um, oh my God. But yeah, because I did that and then they gave me like a bunch of like Benadryl and Tylenol and they gave me like liquid Benadryl. Dude, that stuff. Tell you, if I ever got addicted to a drug, it would be liquid Are Benadryl you... through your IV, bro. No, remember the one drug that they gave you that Marisol? was like, yeah, it was weed. Yeah, so I could eat, bro. I have never seen you so happy in my life. I was in my element. So what happened with this is she she couldn't eat. Like you, you literally were like a water hose when it came to like you would drink something or eat something and it would literally just, well, just come back out for like two weeks i didn't eat anything because everything just like smelled so horrible but even like <clears throat> anything i tried drinking i would just throw it up immediately oh my gosh i remember it was so so like i started to go into panic mode with inside of myself because we're like well you have to start eating because your body has to build itself <laughs> back up but you couldn't eat just anything and like every day it would be like do you want this or do you want that and you're like no and then when you would eat a little bit something or drink something it would be literally you'd sit up and it was like open opening a water hose and there it goes in the wastebasket like i have never seen somebody so skilled at throwing up like literally i I know quite concerning actually no, um, but like I, it was because of like my liquid nutrition. It was the smell of my liquid nutrition that made me want to yak. Uh, oh my gosh! 
the smell of everything, the smell of the hand sanitizer. If the late my nurse would be wearing different perfume, um, every little smell that came from chemo too. Yeah, yeah. Like I could smell everything, and it was just strong, and everything just made me want to throw up. Yeah, I remember it was like it would be no warning. <laughs> Boop, here she comes. There it goes. And like I was throwing up all of my like liquid nutrition, and I was throwing it up because of the smell of it. Yes. And then we started to get concerned because your liver count and your kidney count started fluctuating. And we can't have that because we had to regulate all of your organs and they all had to be working together, but nothing was staying within you. So that's when they gave you that medication. The Marinol? Yeah. Yeah. See, I don't really remember all of my counts about stuff. I really didn't care. I was just chilling. Yeah. (laughs) Glad you were chilling. (laughs) But you also, so in those times when you, do you feel like in those times you were so zoned out that your mental space didn't even have the mental capacity to like, cause I was going to say, how, what do you, how do you feel like you got yourself through day in and day out? Because let's just get the image. You're in a hospital room all by yourself. You're not allowed to have visitors unless it's me or it's Matt and your nurses and your doctors. Like that's, that's a lot for a 16 year old and you're going through a life and death crisis. So what, like, do you feel like you were so sick that like half the time you, your mental space was just zoned out? Um, yes and no. I definitely like, knew what was happening, but I was like, it is what it is. Me freaking out, stressing about it isn't going to change anything. I'm just going to feel worse. Do you feel like that's the thing that kind of kept you like stable in that time? Yeah. And I also like would journal every day. I talk about my days. Good or bad. Or if I was like mad, I would write it down. Right. Or if I had a good day, I would like say the good day or like sometimes there was just like little things that like, I mean, they also had like art therapy and there was that one nurse that would always come and like play games and stuff with me when I was finally like feeling good enough. So like there's like a little, like when you're in there, everything sucks. So if you find one little thing each day, it just. I was going to say, that. so some people think they have a bad day when it's a bad day. So, <laughs> Cause I'll never forget the day that you brought me a slushy. That was literally my like, the next three days I was happy because of that oh my god like it's just like the little stuff like that that like you know or when I was finally able to go up like up outside on the roof into like the garden thing that it's like like it's something so small but it was like so big in like my life at that time so now you just think about that stuff So do you feel like that's something that you really learned at the hospital of like the little things in life? Oh, for sure. Because I feel like everybody only thinks about the big things and then the big things aren't even big anymore because you can't acknowledge the little things. A mic drop. And with that, she is done with her speech. (laughs) That's good. And so, yeah, that's because I'm just like, you know, sometimes we think we're having a bad day, but in reality, like thinking about your perspective being in the hospital and you're saying I wrote down when I was having a good day and I'm like okay please share how you were having a good day when you're like literally strapped to your hospital bed and you well just know I kick that nurse's butt in cards all the time (laughs) that really felt pretty good (laughs) that brought out a whole nother severe and so then when you were when you were finally allowed to leave and go home and face the real world that was where Despite the hair, I think everything was just overwhelming to you because it was also, I think we, I know for myself, 
I kind of thought we were going to go back to real life, but we really didn't go back to real life. No. Did you? Well, how did you feel about that? I don't know. I just wanted to be out of that stupid room. Like when I got there, I was like, this room's nice. This is the nicest room we've had. By the time we left, I was like, this is the smallest room. It's so annoying. Everything in here stinks. And oh, I just wanted to leave. So it was definitely nice to like have my bed and stuff, but it still sucked because I was like in my own house, but I was like, I was living at the hospital because I couldn't do anything. Yeah. And and we still had to go back like what, like two or three times a week. Yeah. We still had to. basically still there. We had to go back a lot and you didn't have the support of the doctors and nurses anymore. Yeah. That was kind of hard sometimes because then I would just be alone all day at home. Yeah. So that was, and, and you had to try to figure out how to do life. It was kind of like you got plucked from life and then plopped back into life again, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then you had to relearn how to do things because you weren't allowed to do so many things. So when you, yeah, we got a whole binder of lists of things I can't do and things I can't eat, things I can't drink. And yes, it was a lot of, for, for, for my child that does not like to be told what to do and what not to do. She sure got a lot of to do's and not to do's in that yeah. time. So when you were going through your hard time, you said like when you felt depressed, because obviously what, what did you do? What were some of the things in the self-talks country life I'm telling you um that you gave yourself to like navigate through that because I feel like what you used in that time somebody is going to take away in this podcast and be like well if she could walk herself through that in that time because lord knows I wasn't in a position which that's a whole nother podcast episode (laughs) I'm not looking forward to that oh it's rough (laughs) but anyways what did you do in that time to help thyself um (laughs) I uh, I continued journaling when I got home and stuff. I did that. And then I just kind of let myself get depressed, to be honest. Like, I just, like, let it happen. And I was like, life sucks. I can't do anything. And then eventually I was like, bro, it sucks being depressed even more. Like, this is actually bad. And then, so obviously, like I said earlier, like, teenage girls find who they are in their looks. And I was like, there ain't nothing I can do about that one either. <laughs> So I was like, I just got to figure out who I am. And that's when I started like going to therapy and stuff and like talking to other people and like, I don't know. And then I don't know, I feel like immediately I didn't like do that much. What do you mean didn't do that much? Like I did, but I didn't. Like, I feel like that's not when most of my growth happened. It was like after immediately afterwards. No, it wasn't because you were, you were kind of in a, in an empty box there. Like, yeah. you didn't. it's like when you said you were, cause it was like real life hit, like every, you came back into the real world and everybody's living their life and you're trying to like catch up after losing half a year of your life. What is what it felt like? I'm sure. Yeah. Because we were in and out of the hospital so much. We were doing like our life consumed of life and death, literally mm-hmm. for like, six months and now you're going back into the real world everybody's life has not nobody's life has stopped they're all doing they're all doing life but you're supposed to do life differently so I I feel like you were in a box for probably like a good month maybe a little bit more where you didn't explore much or you you still went out by the way I just want to say something you actually really truly rocked being bald like you were beautiful I've been told yeah some of us got the head for it you know that is so true you own it proud and loud there girl um but but thank you so in all of that so you yeah like so but you I like though that you brought out that you allowed yourself to be depressed because I always say you know give 
obviously not your situation, but if we're having a bad day, give yourself 24 hours to like yeah. experience that. Don't suppress it. Mine was a couple months, but so I wouldn't recommend going that long. Like, it wasn't fun, but I mean, but at the, on the flip side of it also, I wasn't in a good place in my life. So it wasn't like I was there to help yeah. situation. <laughs> Glad you're self-aware now. <laughs> yes. Which, like I said, we'll talk about that another day and do a whole podcast episode, but in you still allows yourself to walk through that. And sometimes we get to allow our, sometimes we have to get so sick and tired of our own shit. Yeah. And, that's- and I think that's really what I had to do because I was like, I was upset and stuff. And then I was like, you know, I have the right to be upset about my life. Like this, mm-hmm. like genuinely I'm 16 years old. Why did this happen to me? Like, this isn't fair. All of my friends are living their life doing like fun stuff and I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Like that's stupid. So I just became depressed. Well, you so acknowledged you, yourself. You know? Yeah. And then like, I just got like miserable. I was like, life isn't going to get better if I stay living like this. And that's what I like, I know therapy did. Like I went to church a lot. Like I would watch the stuff online. So I was still like, you know, doing that stuff and then just like trying to find small stuff that I could do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're a real inspiration. Like seriously, (laughs) I know you're my daughter, but you really are inspiration. (laughs) Like just the things, what I hear you saying is a lot of little details that you did, but to to really give, because I feel like if you would have never acknowledged yourself and given yourself the place and space to sit in, like when we sit in our shit and we're like, yeah, this really don't feel good. I know it's stinky and I'm going to wallow in it and I'm going to sit on pity Island. I'm going to have drinks and snacks and blankets and all the things. I couldn't have drinks. I wasn't allowed to drink alcohol. (laughs) Well, you know, you have made up for it since then. (laughs) And that being said, um, all of that. We are going to so derail this train. I can see it in our brains. Okay. Let's focus. Focus mother. Yes. Let's focus. So in all of your journey, now that we are wrapping this up into one beautiful package, what is, because you're, yes, you are a beautiful package. Um, why is this so close to me? Because because you kept on like leaning back when you were talking. Um, and you're so like, I know that you give me like a lot of ass whoopings and, you know, sometimes when I need to like get my shit together, you give it to me very straight handed, which I'm very thankful for. You should be. <laughs> I am. I mean, I birthed you girl. <laughs> okay. You're getting distracted now. Anyways, what is a piece of advice that you, what would you say to somebody who is going through a really, really difficult time in their life? Like, what are three tips that you would say to them to help them navigate? Like they're in a dark place. It looks like go into that place of like where everything looked hopeless. Everything was stripped from you. Nothing was familiar. And what are three things that you would say to that person? If I came to you and I was like, Amy, my life looks completely hopeless nothing is as I thought it was going to be. I feel anxious. I feel scared. I feel depressed. I feel as if I can't go on. What would you say to me? Cry about it. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, you would um, say that to me. I would beginning. say that initially. And then I tell you to get over it. And then I'd actually, then you'd actually drop into your heart. And... Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so you kind of have to like dissect yourself in a sense. I don't know. I feel like if you're in a dark place in your life, it's hard to like say, cause it's like, you need to like, why would you be in a dark place in your life? 
Well, everybody. Okay. So people face things all the time. Like it can be health. It can be losing a parent. It can be marriage. It can be going through a breakup. It can be business went. <laughs> what you say? Nothing. Anyways. Didn't you? Oh my word. Okay. Um, got to pray for this child after this session. I mean, not session. I mean, coaching <laughs> after this episode. <laughs> Are you coaching me right now? I'm like, I think you need coached. Anyways, um, like whatever. I love you too, Queen. <laughs> okay. So we're getting so distracted. Okay, we are getting distracted. Just be quiet and let me talk. Okay. Please. Pick the floor. Run with it. Um, first of all, I would say um uh, you gotta like know yourself. I guess, because I was like a big thing with me. I didn't know who I am, who I was, what I liked. Like I just did like the terio, the terio. Oh my gosh, <laughs> the stereotypical teen, like teenage girl type thing. And I was like, you know, are you hungry for teriyaki chicken or something? Oh no, actually, okay. Anyway, distracting me. Forgot, you know, like what you like because I remember as soon as I was like able. Actually, I wasn't allowed to yet go out, but like I got a job. I wasn't allowed to be working. Oh yeah, but gosh, I did. broke all the rules. And like, I wasn't allowed to like be around people, but I started going to the gym because I just really was very unhappy with how my body looked and stuff. And I was just like, so incredibly weak. And that's a whole nother story. Um, <laughs> we'll do another episode on that. <laughs> uh, do one about self-image, but so like, and then like the gym's like the, my big thing. That's like what a hundred percent got me through and helped mm. me come out because like I went there and I could be there for like three hours and I just like would be away from everything I'd just listen to my music I'd lift weights and I could like feel myself getting stronger I could feel like myself make physical progress so I knew I was like bettering my body in a sense and especially like because self-image has been such a big problem for me since I was like probably like four years old five years old probably something like that. Like I've always, that's always something I struggled with. And now I was finally being able to see progress in my body and I was taking care of it. Like, cause going from yeah, everything that my body went through. So like that. And then I started like reading and I just started like spending a lot of time with myself, not in like a sense of like, I just sit with myself and I think about everything that my life has went through and all the bad things and how miserable my life is and how I wish I had it this way. And why can't I have this person's life? Cause I mean, I feel like that's a normal thing that everybody does. You're going through something hard mm -hmm. and you're like, they have it so easy. Da, 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 da. Okay. But somebody also has it harder than you. That's just life that you're going to go through hard stuff in life. And it's all in how you handle it and how you take it. You know, they reach it. Yeah. I mean, you, there's, there's nothing you can do to like prevent yourself or prevent people you love from going through hard things in life. Like that's just part of life, but it's what you do with it. That'll make you the person that you are. And I feel like that's just why I kind of realized like, there's nothing I can do about how my life is. There's nothing I can do to change it, but like my outlook on how it is, like that's all on me. Like that's fully mm. in my control. And that's the one thing I can control. So although my life might be miserable, if I can find a way to have a positive outlook and enjoy at least like who I am and at least know who I am as a person, I would still be gaining something out of all of this, you know? It's probably that thing. Just focus on yourself. Learn who you are. Love yourself. Have some confidence in who you are and have some confidence in the fact that you're going to get through it and that it does get better. I mean, life's only going to be hard for so long. Unless you let it be hard, then that's your own fault. Dang, girl. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs>
Thank you so much for tuning in to Unchained and Untamed. I'm confident that you received exactly what you require to unleash your potential and unapologetically own your feminine heart and soul and be the woman that God has created you to be. It's time to take the next step on your transformational journey. Apply what you've learned and know that I am here to support you every step of the way. I'd love to hear what your biggest shifts and ahas were that you received from this podcast. So make sure to shoot me a message and follow me on Instagram at Schrock underscore Leona. See you there.